He pulled out a violin from its case. He threw some seed money into the violin case that he put out in front of him and he began to play. He played for 45 minutes as thousands of people walked back and forth past Joshua Bell at the DC train station. Over the 45 minutes that he played, he collected $32 from 27 different people for his efforts. Three days prior to that, Josh had played the same music composed by Mozart and Schubert at the sold-out Boston Symphony Hall. In the DC Metro train station, nobody appreciated Joshua Bell's world-renowned talent, nor the beautiful music made from his $3 million Stradivarius violin. The Washington Post said, quote, it was an extraordinary experiment in context, perception, and priorities. In a banal setting at an inconvenient time, would beauty transcend? That is the exact question we should be asking this Christmas season. How can we avoid missing the beauty of that which matters most in the midst of the preponderance of stuff that simply comes at us? How, how can we avoid the tragedy of missing the beauty that matters most? The, the first key is giving yourself the space to think about what matters most. Now, that's easier when the host of heaven comes to tell us what matters most and Luke chapter two, verse 10 and 11, and the angel said to them, the, the shepherds, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Christ, the Lord. That, that says many things. All of those clauses are pregnant with meaning, but I am here to tell you what the angels cumulatively are saying in those two verses is this matters most. This matters more than anything else in this season of life or in any other season of life. This matters most. Look with me at verses 15 through 19 and, and listen to words that call us to think deeply. When the angels went away from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. It's, it's amazing all the words that, that describe how the shepherds, plain men, plain men, how the shepherds thought deeply about the incarnation. All who heard the good news wondered the word wondered, a Greek term, thalmazo, it, it literally means to marvel or to be struck with astonishment. I fear that we've lost our ability to wonder in this cynical age, in this age that is, is so prone to deconstruct everything. Ha, have we forgotten how to wonder? Ha, have we forgotten how just to be amazed at something that is either marvelous or we simply don't understand? Or do we do, just move too quickly to the next click? Maybe Google will explain it all away. 
It goes on to say that Mary treasured this good news in her heart. The word treasure means to guard, to preserve, to keep careful watch over something. It it is a protective thing. She has heard this news and she's like, this is valuable. I must keep it. I, I must treasure it. I must protect it. And then she also pondered these things. To ponder means to interact with. It it normally means, is a word that is is used in interacting with other people. But but here, Mary is not interacting with other people. She's interacting with the news itself. And and she's, she's wrestling with the concept that she would be the one to bring the Christ, the Lord, into the world. Do we ponder? I have a good friend, Daryl Kaiser. He uses ponder like a noun. He says, I'm going to go out for a ponder. I don't think that works. But, but it is meaningful. He goes out to think deeply. He, he takes time away for a ponder, to ponder whatever it is that he needs to work through. Have you spent 10 minutes this December pondering the incarnation? 10 minutes. Now, before you answer that, I'm not talking about how you're going to hang your lights in your trees. That's not part of pondering the incarnation. I'm not talking about what presents you're going to give what relatives or friends It's not part of pondering the incarnation. I'm not talking about what you're going to wear to that party. That's not part of pondering the incarnation. Just thinking deeply about the significance of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Have you spent 10 minutes? I'm not sure I have. It's been a busy season. But wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be more significant and meaningful if we just took some time and, and thought, what are the implications? What should I feel as a result of thinking about the things that matter most? When we think about the best things, the thing that matters most, we end up doing the right things. And guess what? Doing the right things when we've thought about the best things isn't that hard. It's not that hard. Look at verses 10 through 14. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joys that will be for all the people. For unto you in this day, in the city of David, a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord, has been born. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased." Now, can you imagine, just for a moment, these shepherds hearing that and and, and seeing the multitude of the host of heaven singing this great anthem, glory to God in the highest. And and then it's over, and, and the angels go back to heaven, and the lead shepherd says, all right, back to work. Everyone, we need, Jimmy Ray, you start counting those sheep again. Can you imagine that being the response? That that couldn't be the response. 
Look at verse 15. Verse 15 is the response. When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds believed the angels and it compelled them to action, didn't it? That's what happened. They didn't go back to business as usual. They they didn't start recounting the sheep. They said, let's leave the sheep, at least for now, and let's go explore this thing that the Lord in his grace, in his magnificence has made known to us. What an incredible example. Let's drop everything else and explore this. It's much better than we'll check this out when life slows down. We'll check this out when the sheep stop wandering off. When, When business turns around or gets better or I can find the right employees for whatever I am trying to hire for. We'll check it out later. They don't say that. Let's go explore further what the Lord has told us because what he has told us is good news that should bring great joy to all the people, all the people. And then verses 16 through 18, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. If you were a shepherd that night, you had to investigate. But, but once you found some people who would be interested, you got to share, right? Don't you have to share? I mean, can, can you see a multitude of angels announcing the birth of the Christ, the Messiah, the one who will deliver all sinners who would believe in him from the terror of their sins, that they might enjoy the fellowship of God forever in heaven? Could, could you keep that quiet if you really believed it? Of course not, right? You, you've got to tell everyone you can about this good news that brings great joy if you're one of those shepherds. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference between you today and one of those shepherds that night? Well, you know more of the story, but that's it. God God gave the shepherds that story, but the shepherds gave other people that story, and somewhere down the line, you gain the same story. You know more of the story. You know that that Jesus was born in a manger. He, He grew up, and he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And he raised from the dead just like he said he would. And now he sits enthroned at the right hand of God, ruling, exercising all dominion as the king. But in principle, you're no different than the shepherds. You've been entrusted with this great news. Would you share it? Would you share it? It it should bring great joy to those who desperately need to know that God does indeed love them. And then finally, in verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Do you think glorifying and praising God was hard for those shepherds that night? No way, right? I mean, not a chance. It, it always worries me just a little bit to see people sitting passively when God commands us to rejoice and to worship. Like, what's wrong? Like God has said, it is finished. 
I have secured you if you have believed in me. Rejoice, worship. If the God you know doesn't merit your passion and your praise, you don't know the living God. You don't know the living God if he doesn't merit your passion and your praise. A guy named Mark Buchanan wrote a book called Things Unseen, Living with Eternity in Your Heart. And in that book, he points out how we all continually live for the next thing. Okay. Can you relate with that so far? Like living for the next thing? I'm in Enneagram 7, I promise you, I live for the next thing. It's, it's who I am. Then the next luxury for some of you, the next job for some of you, the next adventure for some of us. As Buchanan notes, this becomes so obsessive that we lose the capacity to enjoy and to be thankful for what we have right now. Can you relate to that? That, that defines me, just so you know. Most apparent is this phenomena Buchanan goes on to write at Christmas time, when kids ask and grown-ups think, how many of these toys are for me? Is this all there is? Once all the packages have been unwrapped. I don't think the problem with Christmas is materialism. I really don't. A lot of people say it is. I disagree. I don't think we value things too much. I think we actually value them too little. I think that's our problem. We, we forget to treasure, to savor, to ponder. The weight of this restless wanting plunders enjoyment. We're always saying, well, what's next, what's next? And we're not enjoying what's now. The problem isn't that we yearn for things. God gave us the yearn to remind us that there's something more. The problem isn't with the yearning. The yearning is, is like a compass. It, it says to us, there is a true north and, and we haven't found it yet. The problem is that we yearn for the wrong things. We yearn for everything instead of the thing. The gift, the gift that brings joy, that lasts, came in a manger died on a cross, resurrected from the dead, savored the gift. Thank you. Savor the gift, ponder the gift. The gift is worth treasuring. The gift is even worth proclaiming. That is true Christmas Eve. That is true tomorrow, Christmas Day. That is true the other 363 days of every year you'll live. That's why Christmas is merry. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be enthralled by the incarnation. Help us to, to wonder over it, to ponder it, to treasure these things in our hearts. Help us, uh, help us to feel the incarnation the way the shepherds felt it. Help us to proclaim the incarnation the way the shepherds proclaimed it, Father. Father, I pray most of all that we would believe the incarnation and that we would spend time in wondering over the truth of your love that would prompt an incarnation, that you would reach out, that your son might live amongst us, 
that, that he might die for us, that we might be forgiven and adopted as your sons and daughters. Father, I pray that that is what would make Christmas special. I pray that it would make life special. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final reading for tonight is going to come from John 1, verses 1 through 5. John 1, 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, What we're about to do is we're going to light the candles that you were given uh, when you walked in tonight. And the reason we do this is uh, not just to adhere to a a tradition, even though it's a great one, and we're also not doing it to create some sort of moment, uh, but we're doing this on on Christmas Eve because we want to take advantage uh, of an opportunity to symbolically act out the verses that I just read the story that we've heard from Luke 2, the fact that God sent his son Jesus to this earth, that the the light came to shine in the darkness, ultimately that he came to bring life. So the way this is going to work is uh, we're going to make this room, I think we already have, as dark as we possibly can here at 4.30, uh, and and I'm going to light my candle. We're going to start with one candle, and it's going to seem small, and it's going to seem insignificant. But as I pass my light on to others who in turn pass their light on to others, what we'll see is exactly what I just read in verse 5, that the light, once it comes, it cannot, it will not be overcome by the darkness. So if you would please stand and join us in worshiping the light of men.